Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, Cricket Badgers everywhere, it's very good to have you back, another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast, and it's uh, sponsored by Manscaped.com for the very best in male grooming, it's quite badger, um, with your order you can get 20% off and free shipping, but enough of the uh, housekeeping, it's a delight to have on the podcast today, uh, Mr Roland Butcher, Roland how are you? James, uh, good morning and good afternoon to where you are, I'm fine and I'm uh, looking forward to the discussion. And uh, very good to see you. Um, three test matches for England, three ODIs for England, the first black player to play for uh, England's uh, men's team as well. Um, quite some career you had. I'm going to put you through the 20 questions. We do a cricket badger 20 questions, Roland. Um, but before we do that, I've got a little bit of a surprise for you. Um, on the 14th of February every year, we, do, uh, it, we induct some people into the uh, cricket badger set of fame. It's like a Hall of Fame, but it's obviously a badger, lives in a set. Um, and it's basically, it's not necessary for runs scored, wickets taken, appearances, but it's for a, a display of passion and enthusiasm and love for cricket. So it could be anybody um, that has ever kind of set foot in a cricket ground. Annie Chave was uh, one of the inductees last year. I asked Annie to nominate her kind of replacement, her successor this year. And she said, um, I'd like to uh, have Roland Butcher joining me in the uh, set of fame. So on the 14th of February, Roland, we'll be inducting you as well. So it's uh, a pleasure to welcome you to the set of fame. Well, thank you very much, James. And thanks to Annie. Um, you know, Annie is a lovely lady. I've got to know her over the years. And i um, very, very pleased and proud that she's been able to nominate me uh, to be part of your Badges Hall of Fame. So thanks to you and to Annie, and I look forward to being part of it. And I mean, one of the, the first question that we ask on the uh, the 20 questions kind of comes off that award, really. Um, why cricket? What is it about cricket that you love? What's kind of dragged you in and kept you in for life, really? And um, what is it that creates that enthusiasm and that passion for the game? Well, that's quite a difficult question. I, um, I think from the time I was a very, very small boy in Barbados, I just had this love and passion um, for the game. Uh, why? It's um, still a question that I'm trying to answer. I mean, I did have a family member um, who was an international cricketer at the time, but he wasn't from Barbados. He was from Ghana in Basil Butcher. So um, whether that would have had um, 
something to do with my passion for the game. I don't know. But also within my, my home, um, my home was mainly women, really. So it was quite difficult to, to understand that. But what, what I would say is that um, the women at the time had a deep passion for the game. And yeah. I actually saw my very first test match. My cousin, Monica Butcher, took me um, to see my very first test match in Barbados. So I think the women's influence um, certainly would have helped because if they didn't have the passion for the game and there was no men in the house, it would have been very difficult. And really, once you got into it, you're, you're really hooked for life. It doesn't let you go, does it, Cricket? It doesn't let you go. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you mentioned growing up in Barbados there. You came across to England at the age of sort of 13, 14, wasn't it? And then uh, obviously forged a very um, long and illustrious career for Middlesex. But you find yourself back in Barbados. I'm very jealous of you, Roland, because I've been to Barbados <laughs> a few times. Fantastic Ireland. It's freezing cold in the UK at the moment. I'd much prefer to swap places with you, but a uh, great place to live. It certainly is. Um, you know, as I said, yes, I was born here. I spent 37 years in England. Didn't really have particular plans to come back to Barbados. But 2004, I got offered a position at the University of the West Indies as director of sports. Um, came initially on a two-year contract and ended up staying at the university for 15 years. And I guess after 15 years, it, it becomes difficult really to pull up roots again and, and move back to UK. But I'm there on a regular basis. My kids, my my father, my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. Plenty of family in the UK. More family in the UK than in Barbados, but I think this is our home right now. University of the West Indies, that Cave Hill setup. I've been there a few times watching uh, matches there. It's a, it's a nice part of the world to, to live and work for a while, I, I would imagine. It certainly is. Um, it wasn't when I, when I first started um, because I was brought specifically to do at KFL what you actually see now. So, um, you know, it was a real challenge, but um, I got lots of pleasure and enjoyment out of it. And the end result, as you as you saw for yourself, um, is pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's a really good place. Like, um, sitting there watching the flags and the sea behind it and watching the cricket, fantastic place to watch cricket. Recommend it to anybody. If you get across to Barbados, pay, pay it a visit. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. Question number two, if uh, not a cricketer, what would you have done with your life? Where would uh, Roland Butcher have gone if cricket, a cricket bat had never ended up in your hands? That's an excellent question. Um, when I was a kid, I had two ambitions, really. I, I wanted to be a cricketer um, and the net, or a pilot. Um, okay. Two things couldn't be further apart, but um, for some reason, as a, as a kid, I was fascinated with airplanes. I uh, would spend long hours... Um, at the airport just watching planes take off and land. So it was a, a bit of a passion for me. Um, I think in many ways I probably achieved that um, that second ambition. Uh, said being a professional cricketer, being a test cricketer, and being a pilot with the two ambitions. Um, I did get the opportunity in England um, to actually fly um, 747s um, in simulators and land safely. So I guess in many um, instances I, I did that. Uh, both ambitions, I, I actually achieved both ambitions because, you know, I, I was able to land the 747 at Heathrow and at Manchester um, successfully. So that was um, very much an ambition. Did you ever, uh, this is in a simulator, obviously, but did you ever crash it? No, I didn't. I didn't. Huh? Um, I was very proud of um, what I did. I did have to um, 
overshoot um, Heathrow a couple of times. It was coming in a little bit too fast <laughs> and, and had to just abort the landing and um, circle and, and come again, but landed it safely. And I also did some night landings as well, so that was impressive. But in terms of that, it is, it is funny. Um, perhaps, Jim, someone else you should speak to is someone like Ricky Elcott because Ricky Elcott um, had similar ambitions. Um, as you know, he was born in Barbados. He did play for England, play for Middlesex. But he actually became a full-time pilot. He was, he was, wow. Virgin's, he was Virgin's first black pilot. Um, so he also achieved his goals of, of being an international cricketer and a pilot. Well, you learn something every day. Ricky Alcott mm. goes on to my list of uh, future victims for the Cricket Badger podcast, I think. What has been your best moment in cricket? If I could take Roland Butcher back and I could give you 24 hours to live and breathe and smile those 24 hours again, what's your best day? What's your best memory? What would you like to relive? I would certainly like to relive my first um, year for England, which was an ODI against Australia at um, Edgebaston. Um, the reason for that, obviously... A lifetime of wanting to play international cricket. Here is your opportunity. You're playing against one of the best sides in the world with some fantastic players in their team. And then to win the game and perform well yourself. I don't think it can get any better than that, really, on a cricket field. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, being the first black player to uh, represent England, was that a significant moment for you at the time? Did you actually realise the significance of that? Or was that something maybe you thought about later? At the time, it wasn't of great significance uh, because you're so wrapped up in, mm. you know, achieving what you had set out to do over many, many years. And here was the opportunity. And your concentration really is purely on trying to do well um, and to get more of that, more opportunities. Uh, the significance of what happened really was much later when, you know, people perhaps made more of it than you yourself. Uh, to you, you're just a cricketer, but... You know, to other people, historians and other people, um, they saw it as something significant. And I guess later on, um, and even now, it is perhaps no more significant than it was at the time. You made your test debut. I remember you, um, I think I was at the final, 1980. You got a 50, didn't you, towards the end? And then um, the test uh, squad was announced a day later or something like that. And you were, you were named in the squad to go to the West Indies. You made your test debut in Barbados, which would have sort of synchronicity. The, uh, it's quite a nice moment, I guess, that as well. Yeah, that was a fantastic moment, um, you know, to play your first test in a place where you saw your first test as a boy but against, um, you know, the, the team that you would have wanted to play for as a little kid um, was fantastic. You know, to have your family and friends and associates um, in the stands, you know, watching you, it was, you know, really a fantastic achievement. And, but there were many twists to that actual first game um, because it, it was a bit of luck involved, really, because the second test match was supposed to be in Ghana. And we played the first in Trinidad. Went to Guyana um, in the first game. Bob Billis got injured. Um, his tour was over. He was replaced by Robin Jackman. Um, Jackman came into Ghana for the second test, and it's history. You know, history knows that what happens there. Jackman's um, entry permit was revoked. Um, then a lot of political discussions took place between ECB and government, Foreign Office, and but. The offshot of that was that the test match was cancelled. And I think I was down pretty much to play in that test match. 
Um, it was cancelled, which meant that he moved on to the third test, which was Barbados. And it panned out so that I was able to play my first test in Barbados. So, you know, a bit of luck involved, really. Was that quite surreal to be walking out there with an England shirt on in the place you grew up? Like, yeah, you wouldn't have imagined, I guess, as a 10-year-old boy playing for England in Barbados, would you? No, no, could never have ever imagined that as a as a young kid. Uh, and yes, I mean, you know, it was a very, very touching moment, certainly to, you know, to just walk onto the field, you know, for the first time and, and listen to, you know, the cheers you were getting from your home people, even though you were from, you were representing another team. So, you know, that was something very, very special. Um, the unfortunate thing really about that test match was that you may remember also that her assistant manager, Ken Barrington, um, passed away, yeah. I think, after day two or, of the test match. So it really turned out to be a, a bittersweet uh, moment for me. Excitement at making my test debut, but then really sadness at losing a, a, a team member um, mm -hmm. just like that. He was much loved, Ken Barrington, as well. A fantastic player, but much loved in that England setup, wasn't he? And yeah, a, a terrible thing uh, to lose him on that tour. My name is Jacob, and I sent the Badger a message. And now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. I've asked you for your best moment in cricket. If I, if I could take you back to 24 hours that you definitely did not want to relive again, the worst times, what would that be? I think the worst day for me would have been in July 1983 when I got struck under the eye, left eye, um, by a short ball, um, which caused multiple fractures. Um, I was out of the game until perhaps the following June, you know, so I was out for about a year. For me, that really was the worst time for me in professional cricket, um, just the fact that the injury itself, uh, being out of the game for so long. The result of the injury was really permanent damage to the, to the left eye, which I, I, you know, I knew at that time really my international um, ambitions were pretty much at an end because without excellent eyesight, you're not going to play at the highest level for very long. So that was my worst moment. You, um, your eyesight was threatened completely wasn't it for a while but you recovered to continue your career but you, you realized that maybe not at full capacity yeah because I mean obviously you know before the accident uh, my left eye was the dominant eye and mm. suddenly you know the sight in that eye is less than the right eye and so did you have to turn your head around a bit further yeah I mean it, yeah. it caused for you know for many adjustments um, you, you had to experiment you know to get it right so eventually, you know, I ended up playing another seven years, which really I was very pleased about. You know, I was determined that, you know, somewhere I was going to get back somehow because that's what I did for a living. I was a professional cricketer. Um, the alternative wasn't um, particularly um, exciting. So, you know, I worked very hard to get back into the game um, and make the most of, you know, what I had. Definitely wasn't the same player. Um, mm. Not because of any being afraid of the ball or anything, just, you know, that sharpness of picking the ball up was not quite as it was before. Your eyesight's quite important as a batsman, isn't it, to be able to pick up the ball? I'd imagine as well, there's a few uh, 
frequent flyers that would probably balk at having a pilot that couldn't see where he was landing either. So maybe <laughs> both of your options would have been scuppered if your eyes had gone. Well, the good thing about a pilot is that he also has um, an autopilot, so he, he gets out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, just passing the book, Harold. You're not doing your job properly if you're just putting this, on autopilot all the time. In um, this case, in this case, a batsman really, he, he, he's it's him. That's it. He, he, nobody helps him out. Who was the biggest influence on your career as a youngster? Who was the person that maybe encouraged you to play the game? Oh, I, I was—I think certainly my my family for sure, uh, particularly um, here in Barbados. You know, once I started to play the game, you know, I always got food support. You know, I was brought up with my grandmother and aunt. Um, as I said, it's just a house of women, but very passionate about the game, and um, you know, would always be pushing me to you know, to put my best foot forward and, uh, and do well. So they were very, very important. And then obviously my, my parents um, in the UK, and obviously in later life, um, once I, I got married, actually I got married in 1980, which perhaps to me was my best year, I guess, ever in, in, in cricket, because in yeah. 1980 was, I got married in February, then obviously I got selected for England, the ODI, you said the Gillette Cup final, also then got picked for the West Indies tour. So um, a number of people really would have made sure and pushed me towards uh, doing as well as I could. When you, when you grow up in Barbados, I'd imagine it's very hard to escape cricket in, in any way because the roundabouts are named after legends. You've got um, signposts towards cricket um, pretty much everywhere you go, haven't you? Um, it, it is a cricketing island. That's why I love coming there because when you're watching a game in Barbados, it feels like you're kind of you're watching cricket in the place it's almost supposed to be played. Yeah, very much a cricketing island, as you know. The, the whole history and culture of the game here um, are wrapped up in each other. Um, it doesn't matter where what part of Barbados you come from. I came from a very rural area in St. Philip, um, right in the yeah. very east. Besides cricket, not a great deal else to do where I came from. Um, we were so far away from the town as from Bridgetown and other places. So cricket was the only sport that you really could do. So, um, yeah, this, this island is a, a cricket island. And as you know, the, the number of internationals that Barbados per capita has produced outstrips any other country by a, by a mile. Oh, it's crazy. I, I went to the museum there. D Desi Haynes showed me around the museum and the, the, the corridor with all of the legends, the pictures of the legends and what have you, the amount of people that have played cricket and gone on to play at a very high standard from that island, which is only, what, 16 miles long and 10 miles yeah, wide? Well, yeah, I mean, it's 166 square miles, really. Uh, so tiny, tiny. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? You mentioned the people that kind of got you into the game, but was there anybody you looked up to that you looked at and thought, wow, I want to be that person? Yes, there was. As a kid, um, the, the man that inspired me really was Colin Bland. And um, it was for his fielding. Um, mm. As a kid, I really read about his exploits. And um, I mean, he was my role model. There's no question about that. Um, the fact that he could bat as well was... Um, I think it was a bonus, but his fielding was something that I really was inspired by and um, got, actually, that, that, that's the nickname that my colleagues gave me when I was a kid growing up here was Bland. And to this day, they still call me that because, yeah, he, he was certainly somebody who inspired me. I hadn't, I'd never seen him, but just purely reading, um, you know, what he did on the cricket field and how he did it, I just only imagined and then practice and try to, to replicate what he did.
if you could trade lives with any current cricketer, I'm going to let Roland Butcher jump into the skin of a current cricketer for 24 hours and have their talents, have their lives, uh, and be able to play like them. Who would you choose? Current? Oh, boy. Um, I'm not sure how great these cricketers' lives are at the moment. Um, it is a very complicated life. They have to make many decisions. They're, they're all over the world. Things are not particularly good for them, uh, but you've got to appreciate certain um, cricketers. I would say, um, not because he's my favourite batsman, but I would I would want to be Marcus Labashan because okay. the reason for that is he's a very lucky cricketer. And when I say lucky, he, he of, of chances offered by him, 50% have been dropped. So... <laughs> As a batsman, that's what you want. There's no other batsman who ever comes close to uh, that sort of stats in terms of chances dropped. But he's a very lucky batsman. I often think that, you know, there's, there's so much talked about skill and what have you, but luck plays a huge part in sport and cricket, you know, if you're, if you're on naught and you edge to slip and it's put down, you're going to score 200. Nobody remembers the, the drop on naught. If, if the slip fielder takes the catch, you possibly drop for the next game, aren't you? You know, this, this, those little moments make a big difference. Well, it makes a huge difference. I mean, if, if 50% of those chances with Labashan offer were taken, his, his statistics would look certainly a lot different than they do now. Right. I'm going to make you, I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket. The uh, door at the ICC, it's got Roland Butcher in big letters on it. You sit down behind your desk. What's the first thing you do to the game to change it for the better? The first thing that I would do for the game is to try and change the whole concept of the Future Tours. I think the Future Tours program is designed to benefit India, Australia and England and not the other countries. And, mm. and the reason I say that is Future Tours program allows the home team to take all revenues from, from the matches. Mm. That cannot be a fair system because Australia, England can have... 20, 30, 40, 50, up to 80,000 people in stadiums um, for matches. Uh, they take all the revenue. Countries like West Indies, Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka, those teams, very little. I mean, West Indies only make money on home series. The only series West Indies make money on is when England come to the Caribbean. And, um, and as you know, the biggest crowd is 15,000. They probably pay five US to, to, to see the, the game. No money at all. So I would change, third of all, the, the future tours program back to the system where it was before, where boards negotiated um, the terms when they played each other. And the other thing that I would do, which is more significant, would be the distribution of ICC funds. ICC funds comes from the international um, tournaments. They're around the T20, the 50 over women's, etc., etc. Equal distribution of those funds. Quite at the moment, um, ICC funds are distributed in this way. Um, it's done over an eight-year period. And during that period, India gets 450 million, England get 200 million, Australia get 200 million, the rest gets 90 million. Um, how can you have a level playing field? How can you have a strong test um, championship with, with that sort of disparity? Um, so those are two things that I would do. And the third thing that I would do, I would um, ensure that some of um, IPL funds go to ICC to be redistributed 
um, amongst the associates, etc. Currently, none goes to ICC. India gets $550 million um, a year from the IPL, and none goes to ICC. Those are the three things that I would do on the first day, and, and do like they do in the NFL. In the NFL, they pool all the, the, the rights money, and then it's equally distributed between the 31 teams. The reason for that is the 31 teams can then compete in the transfer market for the very best players. You don't have three or four, five, three or four good teams. I couldn't agree more with any of those three. I think I said you've got a very busy first day in your job, but it's a very <laughs> worthwhile first day, I would, I would suggest. Um, if you were starting your career again today as a youngster, Roland, um, is there anything you would do differently as a cricketer? Um, and kind of the flip side of that, what would the 12-year-old Roland Butcher say to the current Roland Butcher? Would he be proud of where you've gone? Yes, I think they would. Um, in terms of... You know, if I was a current day player, it, it would be great to be able to play T20 cricket. Um, you know, back in my time, you played, um, you know, it was 60 over or 40 over cricket. Um, and then you played um, four day or international cricket. I think these days with the different formats, I would certainly love to have played the different formats. And who wouldn't like to play T20 cricket? You know, mm. you've got, you play with a white ball that after four or five overs does nothing. You're playing a good pitches, short boundaries, big bats, feeding restrictions. Who would want to refuse that? <laughs> you say four <laughs> or five I, overs. It's, often the shine goes off the ball after about six six balls sometimes absolutely. in those T20s. You know, certainly when I played, um, I, and I can remember my very first game at Edgebaston. Yeah. The, you know, um, the leg side boundary was at least 100 yards. Mm. At least 100 yards. You're playing with a red ball that swings against good bowlers. So I would certainly would want to be, I would enjoy playing in this era, certainly playing the white ball as well. Um, the, the other thing, Roland, is the, um, the Wonga, well, isn't it? You'd... Well, that, that's um, a, a, a very good bonus for, yeah. for playing the game as well. <laughs> um, right, we've got through the uh, kind of quick cricket-orientated questions. Some of the ones to follow are a little bit more frivolous. Um, but they say uh, rock stars would like to be sportsmen. Sportsmen always want to be rock stars. If you could have been famous doing something else, what would you have? Um, what would you have liked to have achieved? Oh boy, um, another another career outside of cricket. Um, I think I would have liked to have been a football footballer um, because I, I always loved football. Um, I was fortunate to be able to play um, semi-professional when I was growing up. Um, as a as a cricket professional, I also played professional football as well. Uh, you know, I'm a fully qualified UEFA coach, so I've worked at some Premier League clubs in, in England as well. So, to being a player, um, I think I would have, yeah, I would have loved loved to be a football player as well. Right, we'll come back after this short break with uh, the rest of the twenty questions for uh, Roland Butcher. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com 
quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com. Together, we save balls. Roland Butcher, the guest on the Cricket Badger podcast today. We'll continue with the 20 questions now. And if you could meet anybody living or dead, Roland, it's a dinner party question. You can have maybe three guests around for uh, around for dinner. Who would you uh, choose to invite? Certainly, I think Nancy Mandela would be, mm. I think, Good perhaps choice. would be top of the, um, the list. Um, I would like to also invite um, Eric Little mm. of Charity of Fire fame. He obviously was a, a sort of man who his principles were, were, were very, very, very strong. And I would invite him around for sure. And then um, I think I would like to have Muhammad Ali around as well, just for some entertainment. That'll be a good dinner party. I think. <laughs> Did you ever get to meet Nelson Mandela? Were you ever able? No, I didn't. Um, my one chance would have been if I had gone on the Rebel Tour, which I mm. didn't go on in the end. So that would have been my one opportunity to meet him. Because you signed up for that initially, didn't you? And then I, I, I read somewhere um, you, you were surprised by the backlash and then you kind of got yourself out of it. It cost you a few quid to uh, get yourself out of the contract and not go. But then you, I think the final part of your uh, quote was, um, I know I did the right thing, though, in the end. Yeah, yes. I mean, I initially made a cricketing decision to go. Um, I was, this was 89. I was um, close to the end of my cricket career. It was a cricketing decision, but uh, in our reflection after discussions with many, many um, influential people um, in and outside of the country, in South Africa as well, I then made the decision that perhaps uh, on this occasion it, it wasn't wise for me to go. Mm. Um, and yes, I pulled out. It did cost me a few quid to get out. <laughs> and But um, as I said, yes, I mean, it's, I felt really, you know, I, I made the right decision and... Um, you know, I'm happy to live with that. A lot of the um, the West Indies did the Rebel Tour to South Africa, and a lot of the guys that went on that really suffered, didn't they, as a result of the backlash that they received when they got home. So probably on, w- with the benefit of hindsight as well, you probably look back at that as being a very good decision. Yeah, I think it was a very good decision. Um, first and foremost, I would like to see really what happened to the West Indian Rebels. Uh, I, I'm not particularly pleased with what happened with them. Um, if you know the rest of the world actually banned their players for a period of time. Um, West Indies went beyond that and banned them for, you know, the end of their lives. And um, I thought that was a bit harsh. Um, And it was, I think it was a bad thing for West Indies because in actual fact, what they did at the time, why they thought it was the best thing to do, they actually removed the next layer of West Indian players from, Mm. from the system, which meant that when they had to make changes to the original team because of, injuries or lack of form, they then had to bring in a third-rate player. I, I really believe that our decline in many ways started then um, as, as, a, as a cricketing power because the second tier of players, mm. the Sylvester Clarks, etc., etc., were removed from the system um, and we've never recovered since. He was an evil bowler, Sylvester Clark was never. I remember watching him rotating in for Surrey. He was uh, um, st- stuck it up your nose. Uh, very, very uh, fast and, uh, and lively bowler, Sylvester Clark. Um, they're going to make Bland the movie. You've mentioned your name. You're, Bland, you're called Bland. They're going to make Bland the movie. Who's going to play you, Roland Butcher, in the movie about your life? 
Well, oh boy. I think I'm still young enough to be able to do it myself, actually. Okay, uh, you can do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in relation to Bland, there are only one or two people who really could understand what he meant to me. So um, I would say at this moment in time, I probably would be the best person to do that because I, I'm the one that really knows the influence that he certainly had and um, on my career, even though I'd never seen him or never met him. And you can make money as an actor and you get the royalties from the film. So yeah, everybody's a winner. You're, you're a winner twice. <laughs> um, what's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? I mean, going back to your playing days, were you a nervous batter? If you were waiting to go in, were you somebody that was riddled with nerves or did you take it in your stride? Are you quite cool and calm and collected or do you get the butterflies? No, I wasn't particularly a, a nervous player. I mean, you, you know, you do have, you need some sort of nerves to, to get the adrenaline going because if you're nervous, then really... You know, you're not going to be sharp in, in, in your thinking and your movement. So the, there must be a degree of um, nervousness, but a degree of nervousness that, of excitement at, at what you're doing. Um, I think I was perhaps more nervous when I came back after the injury to play my first um, first class game. Yeah. Obviously, I would have played second 11 matches to, you know, to prove that I'm, I'm ready to get back in the first team. Um, I think coming back into the first team would have been quite nervous. But then once I got into it, um, you know, the nerves disappeared. And um, I, think, I, think it, I think it even got 100 in that game as well. So that was, uh, that was, that was good. I saw a video you were talking about you were 197 at Lords. Which that, that was the highest score you got in first-class cricket. You missed out on the three by, was it John Embry who ran, ran you out as you were trying to set up a declaration? Were words had with Embers or did you let him, let him off with that? Well, really, there's nothing really you could say because, you know, we knew that we were chasing a, a declaration. Time was getting on. Um, I had been given some time to, you know, to try to get to it. Um, we just took you know, a risky single. Um, and, he, you know, we declared immediately. So that was always the intention that if it got to 200, we would have declared. So not a lot that could be done. Um, it would have been great to have got 200, but, you know, such is life. It's almost more of a talking point not to have just missed out, isn't it, rather than to actually got 201 <laughs> or something. What is the top item on Roland Butcher's bucket list? Things to do before you die. What one thing would you love to tick off that list? I think my number one thing right now really is to see West Indies back at the top of the, um, the international cricket. Um, you know, certainly competing with all the top teams and, you know, and you win some, you lose some, but that really is on my bucket list right now to ensure that, you know, that legacy that West Indies have had over 60 years, um, which has been, you know, diminished for the last 25 years, to see them back um, at that level and playing the sort of cricket that, excited people many years ago because you're a selector now aren't you yeah yeah i'm a senior selector um and also a youth selector so you know i've got a foot in both camps um identifying the the future players and you know ensuring that we pick the, the right players at this time so yeah um you know hopefully you know over the next few years that you know we can get that right and you know and see some good west indies cricket it's a tough job, that role, isn't it? Going around watching people playing cricket and sitting in the sunshine? <laughs> well, it's not particularly tough for me because I have always been someone who have enjoyed watching cricket. You know, if I, if I drive past anywhere and I see a game of cricket going on, it doesn't matter what the quality is. It could be kids, it could be old men. Yeah. You know, I stop and look. So I'm very fortunate that 
and be able to sit and watch cricket. There's some people that, some players who can play, but they just can't watch. Um, mm. So I'm fortunate in that sense. So, you know, I, I certainly enjoy, you know, going around and, and, and watching the games and, you know, taking some notes. You remember the Fonz from Happy Days? He's in terms of coolness. He's number. T- he's ten out of ten. I'm at the bottom of the end of the scale. I'm one out of ten. <laughs> Where would you put yourself on that one to ten? I, I, I would say I, I've got to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, the, the Fonz was. <laughs> you know, he 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 certainly isn't me. I I'm not the Fonz. I am. You know, and and something I would say three quarters of the way down. Um, I'm, I've just delivered to Barbados. It's just outside your uh, your house. Uh, a time machine. You can take it forwards or backwards. Where would you take it? Back. I think I would. I would want to go back to. I think 1980. Um, relive that year because um, I think it was a fantastic year for me. Um, certainly, that's where I would want to to, to, to go in, in the time machine for sure. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I mean, if you asked me that question, Roland, I'd probably say I'm going to take your house off you and live in Barbados. <laughs> um, so you've already got a head start on most people. But if you could have a, another place anywhere else, where would you put it? I think Cyprus. I mean, I love Cyprus. I did actually have a house in Cyprus while I was in England. Um, okay. I think it's a fantastic country. I love the people. Very much like the West Indies, but like Barbados, the weather is excellent. Um, lovely beaches. Um, that's somewhere that before I came to England, that really was going to be my, um, other home. Um, okay. you know, we had, we had a house there for about 15 years. So the kids grew up there, spend the summers, uh, love the place. Haven't been back for a number of years. Um, but for sure, I think Cyprus would be the number one. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Would I want to change something about myself? I, I, I maybe you don't have to change anything. Maybe, you could, that could be your answer. Maybe certain improvements. Um, I, what I would what I would say is that um, maybe I think I, I would like to have been involved with West Indies cricket perhaps yeah, ten years ago, which would give me a much longer period at um, trying to do what I need to do. Yeah, um, but. You know, opportunities come when they come, and then this is the time now. But I think 10 years ago would have been also perfect. Well, that leads us nicely into question number 19. What would you, what will you be doing in 10 years' time? Well, I would hope very much that I'm still on this earth <laughs> and, and enjoying my life. Um, that's certainly the number one. Um, uh, in 10 years' time, I would hope to be, you know, still with my family doing the sort of things that I enjoy doing. Um, you know, I've got a, my wife. We've been, you know, this is coming up to what, 43 years we've been married. So, um, you know, she's still, you know, she's still with us here and my kids and grandkids. Um, so in 10 years time, I, I would want to be somewhere walking along a beach somewhere with my family and looking at my, um, in the, I guess by then you probably wouldn't have cricket info. You would have something else. And looking and, and seeing that West Indies have won a, another test series and um, I'll have a bit of a smile on my face. Sounds all right. That sounds like a decent plan. Um, the uh, the final question, actually, before I ask you that, you got you were awarded the um, the Freedom of the City of London what, you uh, last year. How much of an honour was that? Can you, can you, have you taken your goats across uh, the bridge yet or have you uh, resisted that <laughs> well, temptation? That, that, that is a tremendous honour. Um, 
you know, to be awarded um, the Freedom of the City of London. Uh, it is something, as you know, that dates back to 1200. And there are some very, very, very famous names who, who have been awarded that, the likes of the same Nelson Mandela and uh, yeah. Queen Elizabeth II and, and, and people of that ilk. So to have been awarded that for me was a great, great honor and privilege. You know, I was extremely happy, um, you know, to receive that. Uh, in terms of um, the sheep, I, I, th I think maybe at the end of the year, that's a possibility this year. <laughs> of taking some sheep across the, um, the bridge. I'd love to see somebody actually test that theory, actually take some sheep across the bridge and actually a policeman comes to stop and they say, oh, just, just flash your, your award and say, well, I can do this, I'm allowed to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, um, I mean, one of the other perks, which perhaps is not great for me, is that, you know, you, you, you can get drunk in London and, and you cannot be arrested. Oh, that's uh, all right. But, but the fact that I don't drink, it's, um, it's not going to help me. So really, this award was a complete waste of time with you, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, really, no, it really is a, a fantastic um, achievement to be given this award, and I am eternally grateful for those who nominated me. And um, you know, yes, yeah, great honour. The final question, Roland, thank you very much for coming on the Cricket Badger podcast today. It's a pleasure to, uh, to see you. You're looking really well, and uh, I'm sure those 10 years will uh, fly by and you're on the beach uh, and hopefully celebrating West Indies' success then. The final question, though, I always ask people is, um, if you'd been interviewing yourself today, if you'd been me, um, is there a question you would have asked yourself to get a, uh, a great and exclusive answer? It's kind of like, tell us a secret. Tell us something we don't know about you. The question for me would be, why? Why, why, did, you, why did you do it? <laughs> Why did you do what you did? And I think the, the answer is very, very simple. Um, I just love this sport from, um, from a kid. And, you know, I would do it all over again. I, I really wouldn't want to do anything else. Uh, I think it's been a fantastic um, life for me, being a professional cricketer. I, I certainly enjoyed every minute of playing in England. I played with a great club, played with great players, had great success. Why would I not want to do that again? And that is the reason, really, that Annie nominated you for the set of fame and that you're going to be uh, inducted into that on the 14th of February. And uh, that enthusiasm, that passion, the kind of lifelong commitment to cricket, really, is that the reason that you're going to be coming into the uh, Cricket Badger set of fame. Roland Butcher, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for being my guest today. James, a great pleasure. And um, please call on me and give my best wishes to Annie. I certainly will do. I uh, thank you out there, everybody, for uh, watching and for listening later and to uh, the... Uh, Cricket Badger Podcast with Roland Butcher. We will see you again very soon indeed. Thanks, everybody. Sports Social Podcast Network.